Hey folks, it's Randy from Dogfin Radio. My cohorts and I were a little busy with all of our own personal things. John was busy selling our podcast to some of our demographic. <coughs> Heather's golem fell into a lake and hasn't resurfaced. If you're unaware of Heather's change from human to Jewish golem, please see episode 18 and 19. And I had a xenomorph try to crawl out of my penis, which explains why I'm highly medicated. So, as a placeholder, the ideas of best of came to mind, but I hate those. I thought of special guest hosts, but they were all at New York Comic Con. Bastards. So, I found some unreleased audio from our trip to Space City Con. Q&As from Karen Gillian and Arthur Duvell, as well as William Shatner. Now, at the time of these recordings, our equipment was acting up, so it's broken up into parts. But I will piece most of it together. And here's hoping we can make funny for you next week. So, plug in and enjoy. Please be respectful. One question only. I have a question that's in six parts. No, you don't. No, you do not. Uh, let's see. Karen. Oh my god, the costumes are great. Alright, if you're cosplaying, stand up. Ooh, very good. Smart. I once went to see uh, the Rocky Horror Show when I was really young. Um, and um, when I was really, really young with the, the youth theatre group that I uh, was in, and they said, "Yeah, you could." I didn't really know anything about it. They said, "Yeah, you've got to come in fancy dress to to the Rocky Horror Show." So everyone turned up in, uh, you know. I thought it was general fancy dress. <laughs> we um, call fancy, like dressing up fancy dress. Yeah. Too. Sorry, that was embarrassing. <laughs> you've, you've brought back that memory. Arthur, you are in a new DC TV project that's going to be coming out later in the year. Yeah. Talk a little about Legends War. I don't really know anything about it. <laughs> I, yeah, we haven't started filming it yet, so I'm really excited. I'm meant to be getting in shape, um, which according to my... Yeah, I know, I know, which apparently just means eating everything. That's working very much. Um, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. It's a spin-off of The Flash and Arrow. Um, I play a character called Rip Hunter, uh, which is the name I've always liked myself. Um, he's a time traveller, which is apparently the only thing I can do. Um, and, and, yeah, a lot of things. Uh, yeah, it's time travel for our church. I must have missed that. Yeah, so. I did. It, 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 it kind of stuck a bit. Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be really exciting. I've just been doing lots of research, which is reading comic books, which has been really hard. Um, but, I, yeah, I get to go to Vancouver for a while and, and do that. We shot a trailer for it, which looks really cool. Um, and yeah, there was a six-minute sizzle reel for the show, which made it look like you'd already shot the entire bloody series. Yeah, no, we hadn't. We haven't shot anything. Um, <laughs> we all just met each other on that day and kind of pretended to have thought it was really it's been weird the way they do that. But uh, yeah, it's really exciting. I can't really, I don't really know what's going to happen. Um, but it's going to be time traveling. It's going to be uh, a bigger scale than. Uh, the Flash and Arrow, I think there's more uh, effect, the effects budgets, like four times as much. It's going to be like a big, a big deal. I think they're, they're 
pinning a lot of hopes on it. So, that's not my job. The weird thing is, is that DC Comics and Warner Brothers, it, for all of their issues that they've had with movies, <laughs> their TV slate, Greg Berlini and that movie is insane. They're so, this is why I wanted to do it, because I was you know, slightly wary about moving away for so long and doing another kind of sci-fi-esque thing, but those guys are so good at what they do, and so they really convinced me on, over the phone, they were like, look, we, we know what we're doing, and you know, their track record speaks for itself, so I'm massively excited about working with those guys. And, uh, yeah, the bits that I've seen of, of what it's going to be are amazing. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. But since you're going to be in the DC camp, Karen's in the Marvel camp. Now. Is there like a wedge going in here? Yeah, we don't. There is no. There is no. <laughs> There's one more starts. Yeah. Oh, you done? Ah, yes, my Wikipedia page grows. So, uh, Karen. The weekend, uh, the week after uh, we spoke about uh, in Dallas, you hadn't had a chance to see anything for Guardians 2 because James Gunn hadn't run the script. Not 36 hours later, here's James on Twitter saying, "Here's Guardians of the Galaxy 2 script, boom!" So, have uh, I read it? Had they no. handed it on to you? Yeah. No, I'll read. I read. I could read. <laughs> Um, I don't think anyone, any of the cast have read it yet, so I just have no idea what's going to happen. I'm hoping that I've grown all the hair in the world. That's all I want. Do you have to shave it? I don't know yet. Surely they can put you in a... Put me in a bald, bald cap? No. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to get a bald cap, I think. Or maybe I just shave it again. Yeah. I'm just going to let fate decide. Thanks. You looked amazing with not only bald, but the short hair too, because there was there was a piece that I always love to reference. If you haven't had a chance to see it, uh, Esquire magazine did this great clip of Karen doing Scottish colloquialisms. Five first. So, um, yeah, but no, oh, I can't remember anything. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, what was the question? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when the triumvirate was... Trying for the uh, Smith, the 11th, and Darwin was starting to form. Just yes, in the 11th hour, because that's when yeah. we were all together. But I get, I mean, it, we did have a lot of fun doing it, and there was a lot of camaraderie. But it took a while for it to become natural. I think that's you know you you go into these things and you try and kind of do that thing of having lots of fun and making it work because you're working hard to to, to make that chemistry work. And it was you know we we all did get on. It took a while for it to kind of sit back and become... Then it became easy. second nature, yeah. like we, I mean, just messed around so much in between takes. It was like Alex Kingston describes yeah. it as three little puppies playing for the first time. <laughs> because we were there every single day. Yeah, and maybe just um, like a constant state of delirium as well. Yeah. <laughs> and run out of normal conversation with each other. Yeah. There was nothing to actually just talk about. into noises and movements. <laughs> And trying to annoy each other as much as possible, which we slip back into, especially when the three of us are together. Yeah, yeah. And then we go, we're not older now. We do. Yeah, like we're grown ups, apparently. <laughs> I do want to, there's, there's a lot of people who do have questions, so I do want to get to them, but I did have one specific question about Angels Take Manhattan. It's rare when you have characters of your level 
so far in advance, people know this is it for that character. There's, there, there's no surprise, but there was still so much emotion in each of your performances from that episode. And as you're getting ready to wrap on your final day as regulars, and it obviously wasn't the last scene of the show, because you normally should have a sequence, but just talk about your last shoot day as regulars on Oh, horrendous. Do you remember what we shot? We did a thing in the lift. It was, um, yay, but the last shot we ever did was in the power of three. And it was the shot of like the three of us walking into the TARDIS. Oh yeah, yeah. And then we finished. And then we went into the TARDIS one by one, which felt really apt actually yeah. to enter the TARDIS. And like, yeah, and then on the last take we were all in the TARDIS and it's really dark in there. Um, Small. It was really small, like you go in and it's like that, and then we all just like hugged. Yeah. It was so sad. I burst into tears. It was hard to know what to feel, wasn't it? It was like because it was like just such a monumental moment, in so many ways. Yeah. And you have to just live that. And, yeah, it's weird. Arthur. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think filming that that last episode, we felt quite a responsibility not only to to do it justice, but to not be indulgent with it. Um, and I think it's quite easy to, you know. To, to leave it and, and, and yeah and indulge in the the emotion of it, but I think the story was so good that we felt that we really had to do it justice. Um, it was hard, wasn't it? You did, you refused to read the script I for ages. <laughs> I wouldn't read it. I was in denial, severe denial. Still am. Still <laughs> yeah, we all go to each other's houses on a Saturday night. Just. Run around. Run around. Imaginary <laughs> monsters. You got the cat to chase us around. <laughs> <laughs> Your tone was good, but I didn't know it was that good. All right, uh, let's go with our first question here. Yeah, my question's for Karen. Yes. The Marvel Universe is being driven by the Infinity Stone so much, yeah. and that's based on a comic called the Infinity Gauntlet, and yes. Nebula plays such a pivotal role in that, and her character goes through such an amazing transformation. And I've thought many times how cool it would be to watch you play that. I was wondering if you read that comic, any of the Nebula comics, and thought about what it would be like to play that role. I would love um, to play that role. I read the Infinity Gauntlet for research when I was starring on Guardians, and it was so cool for Nebula. She does so much stuff, and she takes the glove. So I'm really hoping that they incorporate that into one of the stories. I mean, I don't know if they are or not, but I mean, I want them to. So let's see. <laughs> I would love to see you do that. Thanks. So stay with <laughs> okay, so my question is kind of, for, it, not kind of, it is for both of y'all. Um, I'm an aspiring actor. I go to a magnet program at my uh, high school for musical theater. And um, Arthur, I know you've done stuff on the West End, so I wanted to know if y'all had any advice for me. Because I'm really hoping to go to Broadway one day. The bright lights of Broadway. <laughs> uh, I, I'm so kids. Uh, I'm so bad at giving advice, really. I feel like I'm not in a position to be able to give any advice. Take the position right there. Don't be a dick is my only advice. It's a thing. That's the only advice I ever give. Like, I just do, just, I don't know, just do it and make sure you, I don't know, I'm not in a position to do it, but just, uh, just keep doing it. Make sure you do it for the right reason. Yeah, 
I mean, I haven't done musical theatre, but I would just say, um, train, uh, work really hard, watch other people do it. That's all I do, is like when I'm not working, just watch other people who are better at it. And find your own way of doing it. Like, if, it, it, if, if kind of going down the drama school route isn't for you, that's totally cool. I know some of the best actors I know never, never went to drama school, but it's, it's about training yourself and, you know, being aware of where you want to be and how to go. Thank you. Thank you. So no, that wasn't rubbish. <laughs> I was wondering uh, if you guys still watch uh, Doctor Who just as fans, and if you do, are there any specific episodes or moments in the show that you would have liked to get involved in and thought, you know, this would have been so much better if I was still on the show? <laughs> are there any Every episode. <laughs> So oh gosh, what are we doing? We're no. lagging. Um, I was really excited to watch Capaldi's first real episode. That's the last one I've watched. Oh, are they? But I can watch it all. It feels weird watching it now. No, I know. Like, I don't know, like, it's such a big people. part of our lives. Yeah. And just hearing that music makes me go, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and then I go, oh, I'm not in this one. <laughs> Because I hate watching myself as well, so you kind of have to do a, so it's less of a, it's, it's got such mixed emotions. Yeah, it's weird. I think you can't help but have this sense of ownership over the TV show. Because we, I mean, we, it was, it consumed your life when you work on that TV show. I mean, we all moved to Wales, we worked every day. <laughs> um, so it's just, it's so weird to see it happening without us now. So it's a bit, it's a I bit will, strange. I, I will watch some of it. I'm gonna watch it. Because I think Pete's brilliant, Jen is amazing. Yeah, and, yeah. and they're really good together, I think. Yeah. I really like their dynamic. <coughs> and I just, I, I, I've been a fan of Capaldi since The Thick of It, which was, if you've never seen The Thick of It, if you want to pay some real swear. Yeah, and I, that is a master class in swearing Capaldi does. So we put a reel together, it was the Doctor Swears. No, but yeah, that'd be awesome. Yes. Thank you. Hey, Nick. Hey, what's up? Um, hi, History. guys. History? <laughs> He's a homie. Okay. Cool. You guys are just chatting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, guys, welcome to Texas. And um, actually, my question is for Arthur. Um, I saw you perform in New York for once, and I cried like a little baby when you sang Falling Slowly. And um, my question is with your experience in singing, do you hope that you get more roles to merge in your musical talents? Because I also have your album from Edmund. So just oh. <laughs> I am, I am. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so weird that that album keeps coming up. It's like, I, we wrote that when we were like 17, 18, which is you know, a long time ago now. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'd like to say, I'm wary of doing, I'm not, I don't have the voice to do my musicals, uh, but I like the stuff that I've done. I love it. I like, I'd like to sing more and stuff. I'd like to do a film, a musical film. I think that'd be great. Um, yeah, I kind of keep all my music stuff going, bubbling on the side. So I'm always writing and playing and doing gigs. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I'd, yeah, I'd like to do another musical at some point. Just being in New York, I think that show was one of the best experiences of my life. I went to see it. 
took me onto the stage afterwards and I got to stand on the Broadway stage. It was so exciting. This is great, Aina. It's amazing. So yeah, I'd love to go back to Broadway and do other stuff. I know you haven't warmed up, and I hate asking this, but there are a lot of people here who have not heard you sing. I'm not going to sing. I think just one bar and slowly. No, just one? No, one I sing one note. Okay, right. Did, 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 did. I sure. sing one, one note. Oh. they made me sing, a, like, they put a guitar on the stage, I know, <laughs> and I was like, oh, thanks. Did you play it? I sang a Kylie Minogue song. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Which one? Um, I just can't get you out of my head. The best one. <laughs> we're good? No, we're awesome. You're awesome. You're awesome. Uh, hi. Uh, Doctor Who seems like a very demanding show to produce, or film, whatever the word is. Uh, my question is, what was one of the more or most difficult things about acting or being in the show? Um, I would say the schedule is pretty demanding, so we would work, and it's not a show where there's a big huge cast and you sort of have days off. We were in all day, every day, every second Saturday we would work. Um, so it was just really sort of time-consuming, but it was really fun. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining about it, but um, and, and also it was really cold. It was the cold. That it was, was the so worst thing cold. about it. Because we were shooting castles, which are basically fridges. It wasn't the one bit where I wasn't in this bit. I remember I was there on the day with uh, with Tony Curran doing, um, right. where you had to put ice in your mouth. Oh my god, yes. In so, the freezing cold. Yeah, so basically it was so cold that we had to eat ice cubes, spit them out just before our lines, so that you, you wouldn't get the steam coming out, because it was that cold. Yeah. I love the Texas heat, you guys are always so sick. Oh, no, not here. We traded in for our three days of winter. Yeah. <laughs> Except for global warming. All right, right here. Hello. Um, this question is for Karen. Um, I've seen you in like Doctor Who and uh, uh, obviously Guardians of the Galaxy, and you're awesome. But then um, I saw you in Seven Days in Hell, and I'm just wondering, <laughs> what was it like working with Andy Samberg, which is like completely out of what you usually do? Yeah, it was really cool working with him. I think he's hilarious and so funny. So I was like, I can learn a lot from this guy about comedy. And it was interesting. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it's, um, it's a spoof documentary about this tennis match that lasted seven days in Wimbledon. Um, yeah, and I played like this girl. Uh, I don't want to spoil it, and it's also not really appropriate for kids to talk about this scene. But you can imagine, so that was interesting, sort of being like, hi, nice to meet you, let's do this. So, um, yeah, it was good though. <laughs> and it is out there on, on I, I think Netflix is streaming. Oh, are they? Really? HBO Go, yeah. HBO Go, it's on HBO. And then if it's on HBO, that means you can turn on HBO 17 and it'll be running somewhere on one of their many, many networks. Really, really funny stuff. And the thing about Sandberg that's just it is ridiculous is you can always 
look at him at any point and he's making a face that humans aren't supposed to be able to make. Hey, he can really contort those facial muscles. This question is for both of you. Um, what was your favorite episode of Doctor Who to shoot? Like, the 11th hour. Mainly because I loved what my cousin did. <laughs> it wasn't even the I was in. Amazing. And just to establish my character so well to make everybody like her. I was like, thank you, cousin. I think that was a well-written episode as well. Yeah. Well, I think he had, Stephen Moffat had it in him his whole life, really. He'd been waiting for that moment where he gets to write his first Doctor Who episode. It was just there waiting. I like that one. I also liked all the um, the Big Bang and Pandora and Road. I thought they were really good fun to do. Uh, cold again. <laughs> uh, but all the Roman stuff I loved doing. Really, really, really. You opening bit on a good man goes to war where you're facing off against a Cyberman. In I can't watch that though. Really? Yeah, That's my favorite line that you've ever done. What is my wife? Yeah. I thought I was sitting next to myself. That's really good. Questions for Arthur. So, of course, in Doctor Who, you had to kiss Karen a lot because she was your wife. But. You lucky guy. Both of you, very lucky. But there was a couple instances where you kissed Matt Smith, where he kissed you. So my question, yeah, lucky. My question is, who's the better kisser? Well, it's difficult because Karen's face is so round, and mine is so pointy from here. See, it, it kind of. It's, it's quite difficult, whereas Matt's face, we kind of tessellate, we, we fit together better. Only because of physics. Oh my god, I can't believe a man has beaten me up there. a man than me. Dear Twitter, you're never gonna believe myself. I have a question for both of you. I wanted to ask, how do you think your characters, Amy and Rory, would have handled the Doctor regenerating into this different Doctor that their characters did not start out with? Like, they'd been there when Matt Smith regenerated. Rory would just be totally freaked out by it. I think Amy would be pretty excited by this idea, and if it was Capaldi, she'd be like, yeah, you're speaking properly now, so... I don't know how much free time y'all have when you travel around to conventions and whatnot. You have to enjoy the sights or the culture. Have you had the opportunity to ever try Texas barbecue? Right, I've got some family in Texas. I, um, when I was a kid, I went to a, like, a Texas barbecue place and my aunt was like, what, what, do, you, what do you want? I was like, uh, chicken. And then brought me out a whole chicken. And I was like, I love it here. A whole chicken, all for myself. <laughs> I've never tried it. I really want to. I tried to find it one time when I was in Austin. 
and couldn't locate, is it? Well, it was during um, South by Southwest. So I, everywhere was two packs, so I didn't get any. So hopefully this time. So should I bring you some saliva tomorrow? <laughs> with the convention yeah, center, I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> Between five and six. It's the one hand. See this? Oh, right out front. A big pig. A real pig. <laughs> it's <imaginary>. yes. <laughs> Cool. I'm sorry. Um, oh. Hi. Hi. Church who had been in Doctor Who as well, uh, which was kind of nice. I really love filming that show because it's just because the cast is so huge and it's full of the nicest people in in television, apart from you know Karen. Uh, uh, I'm feeling guilty about the kissing. You can't work your way back from that. I know. Um, rather the pubs for you. Yeah. Barbecue something. Uh, but yeah, we didn't really, we didn't really talk about it. I wish we did. I might lie next time I get asked that question. It's far more interesting than me giving the answer I just gave. I was just curious. Because I kind of want to watch Day of Freaked Out, so... Oh, cool. It was quite hard stuff that we had to film together, so we were very much kind of in our own. And we're not meant to like each other in Broadchurch, uh, so we... We didn't really, we kind of kept that a bit. So just to keep in character for the just show. Just to keep in character. I mean, we get on really well. <laughs> but it's such an emotionally draining series. Yeah. Well, there was, there was a lot of messing around filming that because it was so emotionally draining. Yeah, yeah. it was like catharsis. Yeah. Yeah. It's inappropriate. Yeah. Thank you. Messing around. Except? Appropriate touching. <laughs> it's always an appropriate touching. This is an inappropriate touch. That was my 
entry into it. And then I, I love the, the how dark all the most of the Batman movies go. I think they're great. I, I like I like his story. I think it's I think it's it's cool. Awesome. Thank you. Her answer is Marvel. His answer was DC. I think there's programming going. On. Well played, both of you. Um, hi. I was. All right. I a question, obviously. <laughs> All right. I know after watching like four or five hours of Doctor Who, I get a British accent, and it's really upsetting to British people. <laughs> Here, then. I was wondering, do y'all get American accents if you watch American TV? I think I've been a little bit affected by moving to America. You live in LA now. I live so in you Los must Angeles. Have quite a good American accent, right? Well, it's getting easier to do it, but like I play American all the time now, um, and that is getting quite difficult to differentiate between my own and the when I'm acting. And then I try to stay in it to try and get better at the American, and then I just sound like a weirdo. I think Scottish to American is quite a good. Well, it's not. As, yeah, it's not that far. It's not like there's a lot of similarities, whereas English to American is much more of a leap. I, I think. find it quite hard. Um, I just used to be so but when I when I started going up for American jobs, I've now haven't done an American a job in an American accent for a while. Oh. Apart from in England, where they don't really, you know, you can be you can be quite bad at doing. But yeah, when I started going up for the jobs, I'd get notes back. <laughs> my tapes going, yeah, I'm not quite sure what accent that is. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we have to get lessons and, and all that stuff. Like dialect lessons. Dialect lessons. I take them all the time. Yeah. 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 Go check it with Jamie Bamber. That man's American accent fooled everyone. Yeah. It's insanity, that man. And then he goes on set with James Callis on Galactica, and James speaks with his normal British accent. Amber looks at him and says, how dare you speak in our proper tongue? It was just insane. <laughs>
cosplay Gallifrey people if you're not working on the Ciderman by the next show. I'm very, very disappointed in each of you. Thank you for your question. Next up. Well, the first thing that happened was I got a call from my agent, and they were like, are you willing to shave your head? And I was like, what for? And they were like, for a Marvel film, and I was like, absolutely. So then, but to be honest, I didn't, I really didn't think I was going to get the role. It seemed really far-fetched, and so I went in for one audition, got a recall, had to go and read again with James Gunn, and then had to go in again for like a screen test, where they like painted me blue and stuff. Fact, I got the role playing Nebula Scottish, and then they made me American afterwards. Um, <laughs> throw that in there. Um, but yeah, no, and then when I got the call telling me that I got the role, I was like, my initial reaction was like, oh, I'm actually gonna be bald. <laughs> that was my initial thought, and I was like, okay, this will be cool, because when would you ever really do that? So I'm glad I did it. It was good. We made you a wig of your own hair. Yeah, and then took my hair and made it into a wig for me, so I can wear that now. <laughs> Which is quite creepy. I've seen you wear that. Yes. Yeah. Was that the wig you were wearing on stage at San Diego when Rooker... No, that was, that was not even real hair. Um, that was just some material. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was just a different wig. Actually I still have that wig. So you have like a row of wigs now? I have like them on little mannequin heads in my bedroom. It's getting creepier. Of your own face. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay, I'm gonna pin pictures of my own face onto them. She's so cool. It's my Picasso period. Both of us on one side. Thank you. Next up. Arthur, are you going to make um, season three Broadchurch? I hope so. We're all really busy, so okay. it depends on what. I, like, as far as I know, it's happening at some point in the future. Everyone's away, kind of living their lives and doing other jobs and stuff. Because it's such a big cast, yeah. I think it's a nightmare to get us all in the same room together. But I fingers crossed. I really, really hope it fits in with what I'm doing because I love, I love working on that show. And you have the final question. Make it a good one. Oh. No pressure. <laughs> Best no, with a GoPro on it. Is that a GoPro? Oh, this is going to be cool. <laughs> when he nodded, that just made everything shit. So, um, you guys were my favorite companions in the show. Thank you. Smith and that hard material blended in really well with the show. So, here's the question. It's for both of you two to answer. If you could make a Doctor Who episode, what would the storyline be? Should we just make it up right now? Yeah. <laughs> Rory's shoes start moving. I'm taking Rory with them. He realizes he's stepped in some alien life form that take over shoes. Make them do bad things. Um, like kick people. Yeah, you kick your wife. You all the time. Stop it. Um, and I. I think I can't work out whether I'm kicking you because I want to or yeah. because I'm being made to. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then they take 
take you to um, another planet, you run off the TARDIS, yeah, go onto another planet. And can't stop running. Yeah. And, and the get really tired. Yeah, and then you, have, you fall asleep. And then, um, I'm still running. <laughs> And then the, the, you guys come along and... Take your shoes off. Yeah. <laughs> the end. <laughs> With a script by Neil Gaiman, I think I can actually make that. Kieran, it's always a delight to hang out with you. Arthur, it's a pleasure to make your acquaintance. Thank you very much for spending time with us in Houston today. The always amazing Kieran Gillen Arthur. Thank you for that greeting. So pleased to be here in uh, Dallas. <laughs> oh, hot and humid. It's really good. Uh, I, I, I spent little time in uh, your city and uh, loved it. But uh, I've never loved it more than just now because I've had your barbecue. <laughs> In fact, it's still stuck to my teeth. <laughs> so another thing that, uh, besides your barbecue, that I've enjoyed, is your horses. You have a lot of horses. Yeah, quarter horses, center breeds, all that kind of thing. And uh, that's my, my other area uh, of, uh, of uh, passion, is horses, dogs, you know, that kind of thing. I, I uh, Quarter horses is what is our bred here to a large degree. Quarter horses, great horses. And I bought some land in Central California and there was a house on it. I put a guy in there to, to look over the land. He said, are you, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. He said, well, why don't you run some horses? I said, well, why? I've always wanted to own a horse. He says, well, there's a, an auction going on in the uh, city and uh, uh, let me introduce you to my, my friends and, and uh, so this very rich guy who owned hotels and his son I was introduced to and then we went to the auction. Now the guy, the, the, the father, knew a great deal about horses but the son who was 12 years old knew more about horses than I So the question was what, do I, what am I going to buy? in the auction. So there's a catalog, and the father's looking over the catalog. He's got a lot of horses. The guy 
that was going to run uh, the, the, the slant. He, he knew a great deal about I knew nothing about horses. So the kid is saying to me, I'm sitting beside the kid, um, Philip. I said, I, I don't know Philip. And Philip says to me, well, uh, Bill. <laughs> uh, this one that's coming up, this horse here, in fact, uh, there, it's, it's, a, it's up for auction now, and this is the horse you should buy. I said, I'm not going to buy. And I was bidding on the horse. <laughs> Guys, and I'm thinking, oh, somebody only bids higher. And owned by William Shatner. <laughs> this little kid had forced me into buying what looked to be quite a nice looking horse, actually. In fact, I'm rather glad I bought that horse. So Philip got me into quarter horses. And like potato chips. <laughs> Ever tried a potato? Or one of the smoked wings that I just had. You, got, you can't put them down. And so I proceeded to buy more horses. And then got involved in American saddlebreds, which took me to Kentucky. And a whole life of horses and Kentucky and Kentucky people. And, and then uh, in competition in, with cowboys, real... Real cowboys. You know there's such a thing as real cowboys. <laughs> and you're from Texas, exactly. Well, I've met some real cowboys and they are like, I thought the, the guys in the in the movies were exaggerating. Now they're really damn down down there. They're really cowboys. So I, I'm involved with horses. It becomes a whole way of life for me. I mean, life and death. I had a horse, a young horse, and uh, and I got, I've gotten pretty good. I wasn't as good a few years ago as I have. I've gotten better. At my age, I've gotten to be a, a championship rider in reining. Reining horses are where I'm at now. So, some years ago, I was on a saddlebird. A young saddlebred, and I shouldn't have been on him because he was young and flighty, and in fact he reared up in the competition and started to fall over backwards on me. And at the last, I thought, oh, I'm dying. <laughs> and at the last instant, the horse turned to the side, fell on my leg, wrecked my leg. So the horse got up, and then I went to get up and I fell down. I got up and I fell down, I got up and I fell down. The guy jumped up, he said, stay down. He said, we, uh, you, you could be bleeding inside. He, he said, stay down, we've sent for an ambulance. He said, don't send for an ambulance. He said, you could be bleeding inside. I said, send for an ambulance. <laughs> the ambulance came, they put me in the back of the, of the uh, ambulance, and they put me on a gurney, and I'm inside the ambulance, and in every, you know, I did, uh, Rescue 911 for several years. And in every, in every Rescue 911, there'd be a beautiful nurse. <laughs> With oxygen, you're going to be all right, sir. Don't worry. Take a deep breath. There was nobody in the back of the house. They forgot to tie the gurney down. <laughs> so I'm going through the streets of Louisville, the championship show was in Louisville, and the ambulance guiding me around, and I'm slamming it. <laughs> If I had been dying, I'd be dead. And I finally get to the Humana Hospital. 
and a, a group of, uh, they, they wheel me up, and there's a group of doctors there, outside, smoking. <laughs> it's Kentucky, what are you going to do? <laughs> they said, look there, Shanker, I bet he's shooting risk in I said, I'm dying! <laughs> so they bring me in and put me down on the emergency bed, and the doctor hands me a bottle, and he says, uh, I need you to go to the men's room, and urinate in the bottle so we can see if there's any... I said, if I could go to the walk to the men's room, I wouldn't be here, darling. <laughs> he says, all right, okay, uh, uh, just sit there, uh, and here's the bottle, and I'll close these, these curtains. <laughs> he closes the curtains. And, and Cap Captain Kirk is peeing in the bottle. Right? <laughs> suddenly, the... the, the, the Curtains open and the beautiful nurse looks at me and says, Oh, I'm your biggest fan! <laughs> and my life with horses, my whole, my whole experience with horses took on it's half my life, more at times, between training and selling and riding and competing. I'm competing on a world-class level. I've gotten really good. I've put in my, my th 10,000 hours, and I've gotten really good at, at uh, some of the stuff. It's, I'm filled with pride with uh, uh, what I've done uh, at uh, middle age uh, to later than middle age. Um, but, but I started well after these 18-year-olds and 20-year-olds who were born on a horse and I'm competing against them. It really is, um, it, it's a source of pride uh, to me and a whole way of life because horses and dogs and family are, uh, are my life and it just have been, uh, the horses have brought a, a other, another whole note of richness to my life, all because of little Philip there uh, who made me. Uh, so that's by, by way of introducing myself to you a little bit. Um, we're all here. You're here uh, at Comic-Con for a variety of reasons, but I've got to, I've got to assume that you're here uh, because of Star Trek and, and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, uh, and so, uh, she got tired? <laughs> the, uh, carpal, carpal tunnel syndrome? <laughs> What happens when you have uh, too much? Now, you have to talk to me and tell me, tell them what they're saying. Am I, am I confusing you? <laughs> That's great. That's wonderful. Bye-bye. <laughs> so, I, I've got to assume you like science fiction and all the, the things uh, that science fiction uh, talks about. Uh, we're united in our our, our uh, interest, curiosity, and love of, of science fiction. So, I mean, what is science fiction? It's, 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 it's people, uh, like all of us, uh, who have a vivid imagination, and they're thinking, this is what will happen, you know, next year, 50 years, 400 years from now, this is what the world will be. And it's entrancing, because we don't know what the future will be. None of us. We don't know what the next moment will bring, or the next gesture. We don't. We don't. We don't know <laughs> what, what will happen, let alone 400 years from now. So anybody's speculation about what will happen 
400, 300 years from now is purely in their imagination. The way the world is going, and I, I urge you to think about it uh, with the changing uh, geographic, uh, uh, the warming of the planet, let me put it that way. We need to do something and do it quickly before we all disappear, and there won't be any 400 years. So it's up to us to tell our politicians to do something about it uh, because it's uh, critically important. But assuming, which is an interesting part of science fiction, assuming we will be here, what will the world look like? And that's curious. I've got a new book coming out next year. Uh, I've written it with another guy who knows a great deal about what's going on in the laboratories. Theoretical physics and that kind of thing. So there's a great deal of invention in the book that I only speculated at, but he knew a great deal about the technical stuff that's going on. So it'll be fascinating for you to read. What is going to, uh, Zero G is the name of the book. It'll be up next. Uh, uh, it's G-Men in Space. There we go. Florida to pick up some guy in uh, the swamp and do an examination. Why do they land on the on the president's lawn? The guy took a gyrocopter and landed on it. Why can't they land a UFO on the front lawn? So I mean, beggars. It just it's like how could there be a UFO after all this time and has never uh, gotten in touch with somebody intelligent? Okay. So that's the premise, right? Now listen to this. There is a doctor who is now uh, deceased, uh, Johnny, John Mack, Dr. John Mack. Anybody know his name? Johnny Mack? Hands on that? Okay, good. Nobody's read his books. That makes me feel superior. So Johnny Mack was a psychiatrist. He's dead about 10 years and I wrote a couple books. The story is this. Johnny Mack was a tenured professor at Harvard or Yale, one of the Ivy, great Ivy League schools in, med, in the medical department. A tenured professor. That means he was so good, they said, we'll hold on to you for the rest of your life. Okay? He wrote a book on uh, T.E. Lawrence, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, which got a Pulitzer Prize. Phew. Psychiatrist writes a book about guy lived uh, 25, uh, 50 years before him. He's got credits. He, a friend of his in the department says, uh, another psychiatrist says, John, I've got so many cases of people who claim to be abducted. Uh, you got to help me. Just take some of these cases. Johnny Mack takes a caseload from his friend, the doctor. And he does up to 200 uh, interviews with people who are abducted. And then he writes a book, two books, about his findings, which is, there were so many stories that were alike. So many of the same things happened to so many people that in Johnny Mack's opinion, UFOs exist. He was almost kicked out of the school. There was a movement to kick him out of Yale because it wasn't. And the president of, one, of that school 
saved him from losing his job as a professor, a tenured professor, and he had uh, a salary for the rest of his life. <clears throat> saved him by saying, no, it's, it's scientific inquiry, and uh, we're gonna keep him here. So he, his job was saved, but his reputation as a scientist was harmed by the fact that he said, I believe now, based on my scientific evidence, that UFOs exist. That just remained out there. After he died, scientists working in quantum physics began to make insane, insane discoveries. Things that Newtonian physics fall, drop uh, an apple from the tree, it falls to the ground, gravity. But things don't work like that in quantum mechanics. Things work in such a way that is totally different than what we can see and hear and feel. And one of the things, one of the mysterious, crazy things that has implications for everything is the discovery that by observing a phenomena, you bring the phenomena to life, and when you stop observing it, it goes away. And they don't know where it comes from, they don't know where it goes. By observing it, by thinking about it, it comes to life. Think about that and UFOs and abductions. It's insane. And yet, it's proven possible. I mean, how many times have people said, you know, I can see the heavens and the universe, and all of a sudden, there's evidence pointing at a possibility of more universes. Why shouldn't there be more universes? And why do they have to be one over there and one over there? Why can't they be inter inter woven. There's so many mysterious things out there given quantum physics that we can't even begin to imagine how, how, how insane to us our, our mind programmed with dropping the apple and the apple goes uh, falls to the ground. But everything, including something as common as an accepted uh, scientific fact, the speed of light even the speed of light, which is foundation of Einstein's theories, is suspect. Time travel. Time travel. It's crazy. But why does time have to go linear? Why does one, two, three... Why can't you take... If you're going from this point to that point, why can't you bring that point to this point and go through that See how mysterious it is? <laughs> gets loud, gets up. Soft and loud. There, there's no telling the mysterious science, of the mysterious things that happen. And that's it, folks. That's the end of our little trip down memory lane through some of our Q&As. I actually still have a few more Q&As tucked in away for a rainy day, but hopefully we won't have any more in the future. So, normally this is where I would have... Ah, you know what? Screw that. Hang on. Anyway, this is John. And Randy. Heather. And this has been Dogfin Radio.